different. My legs got stronger. My body got stronger. Again, like I told you about how when we start out, we're like, yeah, my plan is a through hike. But once you've got a thousand miles under, even 500 miles under your belt and people ask you, and you know, it's funny how like the general public supports you. Like they don't even know they're doing it. But like the Joe Schmo that you meet at the gas station, they're like, why do you have this pack? And you're like, well, I'm through hiking. And they're like, oh my God, you've hiked how many miles? And I'm like, yeah, I've hiked 700. And they're like, no way, that's crazy. So like you just get this, this welling momentum of support under you. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Catwoman, known off trail as Kim Morris. She hiked the AT in 2018 with her significant other, Turtle. And in this episode, we revisit the pain of the mountains, dig into how they exited their city life for the trail, talk about moving back home with the parents and how to stay healthy on trail. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned on this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Catwoman. So welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. Thank you. This is awesome. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of it. Oh, absolutely. I need to find out what happened to the kitten that you rescued. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that, that You know, it's funny. That became such a big part of everything. And I, I am happy to have had that happen since my name was Catwoman since the beginning. And that kind of was just a fulfilling of a prophecy, it feels like. Yeah. Strangely enough, I... I will in a second ask you about the the trail name, but sure. First, first the kitten. <laughs> first the kitten. Yeah. So you know the middle of Pennsylvania. Um, now remind me again. You hiked the PCT. Uh, I haven't hiked anything yet. I will hike yet. Okay. the PCT this year. Oh, that's right. Okay, great. Yeah. So so obviously I was on the AT in 2018. And for those of you who are not familiar with the AT, uh, Pennsylvania is known for being particularly awful in that it's, well, some people look forward to it and they're like, oh, it looks flat. This is going to be great. But what they don't realize is the flat part is filled with rocks that not only are not, they slow you way down, but they can be dangerous if they're wet, you know? So anyway, people don't really look forward to PA. And this is, of course, where I stumbled upon this cat. So feel free to interrupt me at any point during this story. <laughs> Copy, no worries. It's kind of long. But yeah, so um, also in 2018, PA got flooded out pretty bad. So be- between that and the rocks and the bugs, it was just not like a super low-key time. So every time we came upon a gap, it was kind of like a minute to rest and recuperate. But one particular day, we came to a crossing. Um, now, I, I hiked with my partner. So when I say we, that's that's who I mean. We okay. made it through the entire thing together. But um, and there were we came to uh, 
a road crossing outside of Swatera Gap, which was particularly flooded at that point, or at least it had been. And so as we're hiking, we're like, okay, are we going to be thwarted at any point because of this flooding? So we came to this particular crossing and the first thing I noticed were chickens, which was kind of weird. <laughs> so like just chickens wandering around and, you know, I mean, like as you're hiking, you're hiking through a lot of rural area. So you're, you're like, okay, chickens. All right. But then I heard a meowing, a really tiny little meowing. And for all you cat people out there, you know, when you hear a particular meow, you know, it's not a happy one. And so we're walking up and I hear this meow and I'm like, oh crap, the cat is sad. It needs something. It's probably hungry and it's so tiny. And it looks like this little, you know, looks like it's just a tiny kitten and I want to help it. So I like, you know, in my head, I'm just like going back and forth. Like, do I let this, do I just ignore it? Do I just keep walking? You know, this wasn't a point that we were stopping. It's like the beginning of the day, if I remember right. And in my head, I'm like, it's hungry. So I need to do something. And this is actually the second cat that I've encountered on trail that sounded hungry. And the first cat, I tried to feed a cheese stick and it didn't want it. But this guy wanted the cheese stick that I offered it. And so I handed her a cheese stick and she took it so hungrily and so quickly that she like bit my finger and I started bleeding. So at that point, I'm like, okay, I've really invested in this, this animal <laughs> at this point because yeah. now, now I'm like, I have to go get treated because this cat could have rabies. I don't know. So now I'm upset for a number of different reasons. And I'm like, okay, I have to collect myself and walk away at this point because now I have to worry about my own well-being. And that's a little bit more important, unfortunately, than this animal's. So I, my partner and I start to head down the trail. And the cat is now invested in us. And so it starts heading down the trail with us. So I'm like, dang it. Like, this is not like, if I draw this cat into the woods, like it's, it, it could be, it could be even more in great danger. Like, so what I end up doing is bending down, picking up the cat, holding it like a football and carrying it two miles to the next road crossing. At which point I set it down and I call my sister and my sister, who um, takes care of foster kittens, um, like as a side gig. How convenient. <laughs> I know, right? Like it was really convenient. And, and that probably played into it somehow. But she, like she, wherever she was, like started looking up places that might take the cat. Um, she looked up places where I could get the care that I needed because now I needed to get treated for potential rabies. Um, and she like took care of the, all of this having this kind of support system is just, you know, beyond measure. It was, I was very lucky to have her and she's like, okay, I've called people. They can't take the cat. And meanwhile, um, I had met someone in, um, I forget where we were, we were hiking and there was a woman who was a nurse and she's like, I live in this area. If you ever need any help, you know, just let me know. And wouldn't you know, we were in the area where she lived. And so I was able to reach out to her and be like, Hey, ran into this cat, cat bit me. I need to go to urgent care. Can you help me get there? And so 
you know, I have these two separate people working on different aspects of this situation for me. And my sister finds out that nobody in the area can really take the cat. Uh, Meanwhile, this woman's like, hey, this urgent care area just down the trail, they can help you out. You just got to get here. And then I will take you, your partner, and your cat who might have rabies and is, by the way, covered in ticks and will take you to urgent (laughs) care (laughs) and um, see what we can go from there. So over the course of this entire day, that's what happened. I think at this point um, you're a new tramley. Yeah, right, right, and you know, and meanwhile, like I'm, I'm getting all of this kind of emotional attachment to this thing because oh hell yeah, I, I'm helping it out, and like, so what ends up happening at the end of the day, my sister who so we're in the middle of PA. I'm from Rochester, New York, and my sister lives in Rochester at that point. She's like, um, Kim, I took the day off next. I took the day off tomorrow. I'm going to drive the four and a half hours down to PA to meet you tomorrow. And then I'm going to clean the cat up and I'm going to take it with me back to Rochester where I'm going to take it to the place that she uh, does the fostering from up here in Rochester called Lollipop Farm. So I'm going to drive down, pick the cat up, take it back to Lollipop, have them clean it up and foster it out. I'm like, no way. (laughs) Like, like that was just like the most perfect thing. Like having found this animal on the side of the road, I was just blown away by her, her generous offer. So that's exactly what happened. Like in the matter of two days, I I got to uh, urgent care, which is a side story in of itself. It's very interesting going to that as a through hiker. I feel like I, I feel like I met somebody who wasn't particularly fond of through hikers and um, their ability to follow through when they have to deal with kinds of medical urgencies like that. I did what I had to do. Side note, but um. <laughs> So we ended up hiking. We had to stay one overnight with the cat, and it's uh, to this shelter called the 501 Shelter. Anybody who's hiked the AT has heard of it. Um, It's basically an enclosed cabin with bunks and picnic tables on the inside. And I'm sure at certain points of the year, it's super fun to hang out in. When we were hiking to it, at that time, it was like 10 o'clock at night, dark, and I had just been to urgent care. So I was just begging for some solitude. And like, that was exactly what happened. And like, you know, it's like the trail provides, right? Like, so we get there (laughs) at like 10 o'clock at night and there's nobody there. So I can set the cat down in this enclosed space. I don't have to keep it in a tent because like, I was like thinking about that. That could be a problem. You know, I'm not going to let it trash a $400 tent. (laughs) So it was just one of those situations where everything unfolded super perfectly and given like the emotional magnitude of of having to take this on and hike with this animal which for what only ended up to be 20 miles and then to to let it go like I was lucky enough to be able to give it to my sister and she was amazing like amazing hands to have this animal um like she took care of of her perfectly so I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of the end of the story. We I was almost lucky enough to have her adopted into a family friend of my family, but unfortunately, that didn't happen. But you know, the the, the best case scenario happens. You know, I don't have rabies. The cat got adopted. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Well, <laughs> one one big question for you from all of that. You said she was covered in ticks. Yes. So yes, that how? was a scary moment. <laughs> Because uh, you're you're cradling her and carrying her, so yeah. um, how did that work? So I 
like I told you when I first picked her up, it was like in a foot, like I was holding her like a football. And I remember looking down at her one point and like looking at like her eyelids, they were literally surrounding her eyelids. And it was at that moment, I'm like, okay, what do I do? Like, do I set her down and walk away? Do I like accept this as something that uh, like, you know, could happen to me if like something jumped off and like landed in my skin. And I think, you know, I I don't know, you learn stuff about yourself on the trail. And I think that this is something that I learned is that like, I'm going to take that kind of risk. So, I mean, I, I walked with her like that for two miles and she would jump down and she would walk. Like she was an ama- she was amazing. Like I would have loved to kept hiking with her. Like <laughs> she would just like jog along behind me. It was great. But anyway, then I took a one of the tank tops that I had and I turned it into a sling and I like cradled her in the sling. And I'll send you a picture. Like she she would just sit there and you know, I'd put my hand under the sling, but then like none of her was touching me at that point. So there wasn't any any real risk. And of course, I was looking at myself you know, looking at the parts of my body that were touching her at that point and making sure that there was not, you know, anything that had leapt off her and onto me. But I, you know, I don't know. It's just like the, can I really set this animal down knowing that it probably won't make it if I do? Yeah. As you say, you find out things about yourself. Yeah, you really do. The trail, the trail tests you. It does. Yeah, it sure does. You know, it's not even so much as testing. I feel like it's more like um, it presents you with just like it presents you with the same kind of challenges that like normal life does. But in a way where you kind of get to like see how like how your thinking really lets it play out and it, le- it shows you what's important to you and what mm-hmm. you're willing to risk and what you're willing to not what you're not willing to risk. Which are interesting things to Find out about yourself. Uh huh. You know, when people um, ask you, what are the, you know, what what was the most significant thing that you got from this experience? And it it seems so cliche to say that I learned about a lot about myself, but I think when that actually happens, it feels significant to you, and it doesn't, you know, as cliche as it sounds, that that cliche doesn't matter anymore because you walk away from this experience with feeling so much more comfortable with yourself that, you know, I don't know that that was like one of the biggest things that I got away from the entire experience. On some level, a cliche exists for a reason. There is a truth in there. Mm -hmm. For sure. Now I just have a quick question for you. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing uh, clanking. It looks like it sounds like dishware behind you is, (laughs) Is somebody, are you in the kitchen or something or? Yes, that would be, that would be Turtle who uh, we are still hanging out after a year and a half post trail. Uh, hey there, Turtle, she can hear you eating out of the bowl over there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't meet any other, we met a couple other couples on the trail, but uh, nobody I know of that made it from Springer to Katahdin together. So. Oh, wow. Okay. I feel pretty special to to have been a part of that. How was that? Because I'm uh, assuming that you didn't <laughs> camp separately or you, you know, you may not have walked exactly together every day, but. Yeah. So uh, we didn't, we uh, spent very little time apart. We camped together every single night, right? Turtle. Yeah. Every single <laughs> night. And I think he was a little bit more unsure about that 
before the trail, I was definitely the kind of person that was like, yeah, I want to be with my significant other every single night. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> but other people look at that and they're like, uh, I need my space. <laughs> so, you know, one thing, okay. Another thing, a big, a big universal thing that I took away from this is that everybody is different. There's the saying, hike your own hike on the AT and that probably everywhere. Actually, it's not just yeah. an AT thing. <laughs> And, you know, and like when it comes to like gear choices, like, you know, people say, where should I go when I'm in town? Like all these different things that people think about when they do a long distance hike. It's all depending on your preferences personally. And I feel like I can't sit here and make any kind of universal judgment for some other couple, like who might be considering doing this. Like, you know, I, I will say after hiking for five months and three weeks together that I feel like that five months was like being married for five years. Like <laughs> you, you get to know each other that well. Yeah. You can't walk away from that and not know I, regardless of anything else, like how you operate as a couple, like what, what parts of your personality, like give this to the trail and what parts of his personality give this to the trail. Like it was just a really great way to get to know what our teamwork looks like for sure. How long had you known each other before the trail? So we had been together for almost three years before we hiked the trail. So we've been together for almost five years now because uh, we did this and we left in April of 2018. Whose idea was it initially to do it? It was mine. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, so we lived in New York City. And I think I'm a person that tends towards extremes. And so New York was one of them, but I'm also, I'm an editor and getting a job in New York was as an editor was, was way easier than struggling to try to find a job somewhere else. When you say editor, editor of what? So I was academic editor, I guess. Like I worked okay. at uh, Columbia University when I was down there, but, uh, and he works for the YMCA. So we get down there and we live there for two years and we're able to pop up. So the Adirondacks are our, like our second home. I don't know if you are familiar with the Adirondack region of New York state at all, but it's beautiful, mountainous, kind of similar to the whites, okay. the white mountains in New Hampshire. But anyway, so we would hop up there when we could, but uh, being in New York is is a whole other animal and it's not a bad animal. It's just, you know, it's different. It's different and uh, it's crowded. <laughs> so, you know, when I realized two years in that I'm like, I'm not going to go anywhere in my job, A. B, I know I don't want to live there forever. You know, I'm, I'm beginning to think about settling, settling down and I'm doing air quotes because I don't really know what that means. Like, even now I don't know what that means two years later. But, you know, I, I picked up a book that, um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um <laughs> On Trails by Robert Moore. I highly recommend it to you and to all of your listeners. It's um, about trails, obviously, but it's about like, it's about like trails, like ant trails, like how ants follow trails. Hmm. And like, that's kind of how it starts. Um, and then it, it kind of makes its way all the way to like the internet as a metaphor for trails and connections between humans. But it talks about the guy who wrote it, first of all, is an AT through hiker. Um, his name was Spaceman. And he talks to one other, one other person in particular who has hiked like 50,000 miles. He hiked Jesus. some, 
Yeah. Yeah. He hiked so much and wanted to hike so much and not just hike, but walk. Like he did tons of road walking, but he wanted to do this so much that he decided to get his toenails removed so that, yeah. Right. So he didn't, and I can't remember his name. That's really bad, but you'd be able to get it if you Googled Robert Moore on trails, et cetera. Anyway, so I read this book and um, at that point, my commute to work was an hour and 15 minutes, one way underground. And I'm reading about walking in the open air for miles. <laughs> and you can just imagine how that's, you know, with, with the background and hiking in the Adirondacks, like you start to get this image of, of, of this big thing that you, it's really scary, but like, I could do it, you know? So like, as I'm like really beginning to understand the extent to which I might be capable of actually pulling this feet off, you know, I kind of like start poking him and I'm just like, Hey, you know, we could, we could do this. You know, it sounds insane. Like (laughs) (laughs) you want to leave our, these jobs to go and walk in the woods and not make money for six months. Like, yeah, (laughs) we could do it. Like, don't you like hiking mountains? Like, don't you enjoy being outside? And he's like, yeah, but (laughs) so that's, that's how like the, how it all got started. And I was eventually able to like, I'm a, I love planning. I'm a big planner. I like did all the gear research, you know, found these things that we should get to make our, put our pack together and all this stuff. And like, you know, I was able to present a well-packaged enough proposal that he accepted <laughs> it and we were able to move on to the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> I love it. This is like a big project and you've pr- presented a proposal. I know. I know. Yeah, it's great. But now what? And you got his, he bought the proposal. He bought it. Yes. Yes. And so then the next, I mean, like the first half of the whole adventure was, you know, and anybody has to deal with this. Anybody who thinks about through hiking has to, has to think about, oh, well, okay, well, how do I exit my current life? That's what it really felt like too, right? Like, I'm exiting life or at least putting it on pause, but like I have mm-hmm. to, er- I have to like eradicate myself from New York city. I have to eradicate us from New York city and I have to put us on hold. Like if we put our stuff in storage or with our parents in Rochester, you know, and, and moving stuff, it costs money. Storing stuff costs money. So like, it's not just an easy, you know, some people do it differently. Like I said, everybody's different. People do it differently. Like they can just be like, all right, I'm done. I'm out. I don't need my stuff. If you want it, come get it. Otherwise it's going to the curb and like <laughs> that kind of yeah. thing. But, but we saw more of like, a, we're going to take a break for a minute. And it required a lot of, you know, logistics. You know, I felt, it felt really good to pull it off. So that was, that in itself was also kind of part of the overall proposal right. plan. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, and that was like a big chunk. Like it was easy to sell the we can walk for 2000 miles thing, which is funny, you know, thinking about it now because you know, in the be- <laughs> I guess maybe our we kind of had bigger heads thinking that we had hiked in the Adirondacks so much that we'd be like, yeah, we can, we can hike 2000 miles. It's no big deal. (laughs) It's more of like the, you know, not working thing and the not making money thing. And like, one thing that we learned is that, you know, we're, he's in his late thirties. I'm in my mid thirties. So when we hiked, he was in his mid thirties. I was in my Mm -hmm. early thirties and we were an anomaly on trail. Like most people are, just out of college or they're heading toward or in retirement 
So there were very few people that were like, I'm in New York, F this, I'm going to go on trail for six months. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm very happy that I made that decision. You'll never, nope, you'll never hear me or probably anybody say they're ever, ever upset with making that decision. But yes, you're right. It, like definitely the organization of the whole trip, that was a, a big part of it. And I, I've heard a lot of people say one of two things, either like the way that they finance doing the through hiking each year is basically they're living with their parents or the way that they save money in the first place for the first through hike is that they're living with their parents. And that's particularly when you get in to your late twenties and early thirties and whatever is mm-hmm. a little bit of a, a mindset shift, I guess, or a little bit of a, what the hell am I doing with my life if I'm living with my parents again? Yeah, right. So, I mean, we weren't we weren't in that situation, but i I can see I can see how that would be a factor for sure. I mean, we felt definitely more like we were we okay. Well, maybe like um, when we came back, we came back and lived with our parents, and so at that point, it was like that. It was like we have to be able to rely on these people for support when nearly everybody else that's our age at this point in our lives is not in that situation. But I think at that point you, you don't really care because of what you've experienced. I don't know. How so? <laughs> it's like, now this is where I like start to get emotional about it because you come back and you've learned so much about yourself, so much about what matters to you and a lot about a lot of what I learned, and again, I'm different than everybody else, mm-hmm. but like a lot about what I learned about myself, excuse me, was that I don't need a lot of what other people perceive to need in their lives. Um, it was really hard for me. It still is really hard a year and a half later to buy things for myself. Like I don't, I don't need anything like every every purchase that I make it has to serve a very specific need and like so you come home and you know living with your parents feels like you're it it feels like it makes sense because like why you know I'm not going to spend money to live by myself if I don't need to and I have the support system but like you pointed out that's in stark contrast with most of most of my peers Mm -hmm. so I have to I have to reconcile that somehow or I don't. And I have to just remind myself that living this way is, is fine. Like I don't, nobody, nobody says I have to live on my own and spend money on rent when my parents have a room that they can put me up in. So I think, I think just coming back and uh, having to feel like in order to live the life I want, I'm going to have to live differently than most of my peers is kind of an alienating feeling and an alienating situation. And it leads, it leads people to situations like this. It leads people to, to seeking out other people who are interested in through hiking, who have through hiked or who have experienced similar situations where, you know, they've just invested themselves into a really like hands-on lifestyle where you don't need to like buy the next thing in order to feel fulfilled, if that makes sense. Totally. I feel like it is actually a pretty common theme 
I'm sure. You know, in talking to other through hikers, because I think part of it comes from the way you have to live on trail. And, and after doing it for however many days that you do it, it becomes a little bit of a habit. But I also think that, and, and, and we'll see when, when I have my own personal experience with this, but, uh, I also feel like it, it seems like, or what, what seems to come through the most in your story and everybody else's story is that the priorities shift. Yeah. So, so I, I'm interested to hear a little bit about your preparation and like how you're feeling. It's funny you should ask that. <laughs> um, so I've been, so my, my permit start date is April 4th. Okay. Uh, but last November, I got offered this massive major opportunity for work. Okay. And so, you know, in the, in the heat of the moment for the work thing, I was like, okay, you know, the trail's not going to go anywhere. This opportunity is, is amazing. And what I've been working towards for 30 years. So, so I kind of jumped on the opportunity. And then the longer that I've sat with it, the more I'm sort of like, what should I be doing with my summer? What should I be doing with my life yeah. for six months? Right. Okay. So you're talking about you got this opportunity in November. And so now yeah. you're projecting out to the summer of 2020. Is that right? Yeah. 2020 is, so the whole point of this and the whole, uh, the whole kind of scenario around for me doing the Pacific Crest Trail is this will be my 50th year. So this, I turned 50 this year. Oh, that's fabulous. Uh, so, so that's why, that's also, I think, part of why it's a really big thing. Yeah. You, know, you only turn 50 once. And I also have a friend of mine died a year and a, uh, about a year, a little over a year ago. Okay. And she was kind of the person that I had been talking to a lot about doing this. And she was going to be my resupply person and, and all of that. And, and in her death, it sort of crystallized things even more about making sure that I did the trail and, and I have some of her ashes and, and taking that with me and, you know, That's doing wild. that kind of thing. Yeah. And then this opportunity comes for work and <laughs> throws right. it all up yeah. into the unknown. And so I've been, I've been struggling, fighting, drifting back and forth between the two things. And is it, I mean, like, so I don't know what your, obviously what your relationship with your career is, but like, is it something that you could hold on to for a year and then do the PCT in 2021? Or is it like, I was really jazzed to do the PCT and like, this is kind of crimping my style at this point. The shortest answer to that is both. Yeah. Yes. I could totally push off the PCT for a year um, and do the thing or, mm-hmm. and the opportunity is crimping my style. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So yes, it's an answer. The, the short answer is yes to both. And so I've been struggling with that going back and forth and back and forth. You know, what is the right solution for me? What is the right answer for me? And it's the part, part of the reason that it's so funny and ironic that you asked that question is this week, I sort of had to make a decision because April 4th is coming very quickly. Yeah. And, and- I haven't been doing very much prepping because a, I haven't been in town for two months. Mm-hmm. Um, but B, time is running out if I'm going to do this trail. Yeah. So did you make a decision or are we still there? Or no, still I, I did. I did make a decision, and? actually. So drum roll. Uh, but 
Oh, thank you. Uh, basically, I my decision was to hike the trail this summer. Yes. Okay. Cool. And I had to. Can I walk into the the office, the boss's office, oh, and say, yes. you know what? I, this is a great opportunity, and and I thank you for it. But I've been planning and you know, thinking about hiking this trail for two years and, you know, I've got this podcast and like, it's all about the trail. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I could make a different decision and go with it, but I just, I can't, I gotta, I gotta do this. So. That's awesome. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And I'm happy. And it, it was funny. I, somebody was asking me like how I made the decision or what have you. And I was like, well, one side of it was, the thought of the trail and whatever is terrifying. And so the other one is very safe and I know what that is. And so it's like, that's not a good reason to go with the safe one. And then the other person was, or the other reason was, was personality conflicts and and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm being a, I'm being a petty bitch. If I want to hold on to this job because of some other people and and I'm like, that's, that's not a good reason either. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So like, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know we didn't, you didn't talk at all about like what you want to put on this podcast and what you don't, but like, I'm very interested to like, you have a few years on me and I see myself having pulled away from a job in New York to do this, like that I'm only setting myself up for bigger life-altering decisions in the future and like hearing you describe your story and your decision like makes me even more sure that like and and not in a bad way like I I want to do things like that for my life and I want to not be scared to disrupt you know the comfort of this apartment in this like you know in the city we are we're meant to experience life we only have a set number of days on this earth and why not use them as, you know, as much as we can. That's why we're here. So, you know, I just wonder if like, you've always been like this and you've always, you know, made those decisions for yourself or like, you know, I don't know. I know I'm kind of like rambling at this point. (laughs) Um, I guess to some extent, yes, because I, I work in production. What kind of production? Uh, Film and TV. Okay. Makes sense. (laughs) So with that, there's a lot of being out of town for extended periods of time. I, I, you're out of where I'm, I live in Los Angeles now. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of, you get a job and because I production manage essentially. So you get a job and you're out of town a lot of times for six months, eight months, you know, whatever it is, yeah. uh, you know, between, it was pretty funny. I was telling somebody that between April, uh, late March, April of 2016 and October of 2017, mm-hmm. I was at home for a total of three months. Wow. So that I guess I, <laughs> that's not a lot of time, but so I guess I'm used to, to, being gone, I'm used to finding, you know, being in a new location and having to figure that out and stuff like that. Uh, That's cool. So I guess to some extent that this is a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also with the job, 
you know, production management, probably like many jobs, every day is a new adventure and, and you're probably problem solving on that day. Yeah. So, you know, you're kind of just, you take what's come and you apply what you know, and you try to make the best decision that you can every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think with that though, has evolved because I also, I work freelance. Okay. Uh, Or I, I, I actually vary between freelance and working in-house. And when I'm working freelance more, you know, you never know where the next job's going to come from. You, you never know what the next job will be. Mm-hmm. And while there's a certain scariness to that, there's also a freedom to that. Right. And I think that has helped me, particularly in this decision, because I don't know what being on the trail will mean. I don't know what it will mean to take six months off and uh, come back. So to, to, to not to, to scare you or anything, I just, <laughs> no, no, I just wonder, like, I'm being curious, uh, mm-hmm. like there are statistics on the AT. So like when we like landed in, in Atlanta, you know, it's like, so now I'm going to go on a tangent here, but no like worries. we, uh, when we start on the trail, like people ask you in Georgia and then in like North Carolina, so, um, are you through hiking? And my response was always, well, that's the plan. And it mm-hmm. was like, my phrase was, that's the plan until I probably got into like, you know, mid Virginia, I think, because like the statistics say like that only 20% of those who start actually finish and like of women, like it's, you know, the number of women compared to men that are on the trail, I'm not sure about the PCT. I don't know if that's different, but it's even smaller. So like, I'm like this minority of a minority of people that can actually complete this big thing. So like, you know, I wonder if like in a month I'm going to end up in my, back in my parents' apartment with like having failed this thing. So I, and I'm not putting anything on you because I, you know, I, I don't remember ever thinking I would fail, but, but I had this you know, this idea that I knew what I was doing. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, like, do you, do you have a perception of like, do you hike? Like, do you, like, what are your, like, what are your, like, your, do you, your worries and your hopes and your like things that you feel confident about? Like, I'm just interested to know what you're thinking. And I don't know what the PCT is like. So at all. Less rainy, I've heard. Rainy. Uh, <laughs> uh, the AT or the PCT? The PCT is less rainy. Less rainy. Yeah, the AT was a disaster. <laughs> it was a wet disaster. A wet disaster. Yes. Well, no, I think that you hit on a, an interesting thing in that. And that was one of the things that I sent. I was sending out to a couple of my friends on Thursday night. You know, because Friday, yesterday literally was, was the day that I kind of pulled the trigger and said, okay, I can't do this job. I'm going to hike the trail. And it, it kind of made it official at work. And I had texted a couple of my friends and I'm like, what if I get out there and I hate it? Or what if I get out there and I can't do it? Then what? So, so let me ask, let me ask, like, I, I, do you hike? What do you think about, like, for me, I didn't question myself physically because I thought mm-hmm. either a, I would, I would, I would, uh, my body would know what I was getting myself into as I did it, or B, I would be physically capable enough to adapt. Like, are you concerned about that at all? Or 
I am concerned about it. Uh, being almost 50, I know, mm-hmm. particularly in my 40s, my body has gotten more uh, temperamental. Is probably the best word for it. Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds, that sounds so right. I have to be smarter about the way that I train. I have to be smarter about the way that I go about things. Okay. Uh, I think the thing in my favor is that I've been an athlete my entire life. There you go. So mm-hmm. my body has muscle memory, mm-hmm. definitely. But also that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because I have muscle memory. I know what my body can do, mm-hmm. or I should say what my body has done in the past. Right. It can still do those things, but it takes longer to get back up to it. It takes, it's a slower process to, uh, you know, get into running 10 miles or, or even running two miles for that matter. Right. And I just have to have patience with that, which is hard sometimes. I think that's a big thing though. The entire time, like of, of, of doing any kind of long trail like that where you're you're facing elevation and stuff like that like you have to be patient with yourself side story i so um in the in the adirondack mountains there's this thing called the 46ers it's 46 peaks over 4000 feet um and if you do them you can join a club it's like super <laughs> fun whatever so um i've been working on that from the 3 years before i I went on the AT and then, um, again, the same partner, he's the one that introduced me to them and like, we completed them together and we're like, okay, he's like, if we're going on the AT, then we're going to finish these before we go. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. So, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, <laughs> that fine. was the bargain. Yeah. So, um, so these mountains became to mean a lot to me. And so I, my mom had followed me as I was, was working on them. And so she's like, you know, I want to do this. And, you know, I, I'm not going to like discourage people. I mean, going up and hiking a mountain is just one of the most fulfilling things that you can do. And so I was like, okay, you know, she's done yoga, maybe some cardiovascular stuff. I'm like, I want you to come. It's going to be hard. So (laughs) she comes and she is, you know, I have a very stoic father and a very emotional mother, and I'm a nice solid mix of both of them we started up this peak, like the first peak I took her up in the Adirondacks and she had to stop and sob every five minutes. Like I kid you not, like the, the emotional, you know, taxing that she was feeling because of the physical exertion was just too much for her. And like, she had to take time regularly every five minutes. And I was, I had to be very patient and it was very difficult because, you know, as someone who had hiked all of them, I'm like, okay, Linda, get your shit together. (laughs) Like it's, this is going to be it for the next like three hours. You're just going to have to pull yourself together here, lady. And the funny part was that when I started hiking the trail and I'm in like 90 degree heat and I have three miles of ascent facing me and it's not going to stop for hours. I was, did the same exact thing where I would like hyperventilate and it would just like fill me and I had to stop and I had to be patient with myself and it was very hard. So like <laughs> just that, that, that kind of, that whole situation reminds me of what you were talking about, like having to be patient with your body and recognizing that you might feel things that you've never felt before, mm-hmm. but it's okay. And you're going to make it. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, it's totally that, that 
mindset. Yeah. Of, I, I guess the way that I would think of it is giving yourself the grace, the kindness to accept what needs to happen in the moment mm-hmm. that allows you to keep working towards the goal. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And let me tell you, that's hard when you're around other people who are different than you too. And I am speaking about my partner at that point. (laughs) Again, like you have to sit with your truth and I am not a fan of cliches, (laughs) but it is so true. You just have to be like, okay, this is me in this moment. I am having trouble, but I will not be having trouble forever. And this is how we're going to move forward. Did it get better, easier? It got different. Um, My legs got stronger. My body got stronger. Again, like I told you about how when we start out, we're like, yeah, my plan is a through hike. But once you've got a thousand miles under, even 500 miles under your belt and people ask you, and you know, it's funny how like the general public supports you. Like they don't even know they're doing it. But like the Joe Schmo that you meet at the gas station, they're like, why do you have this pack? And you're like, well, I'm through hiking. And they're like, oh my God, you've hiked how many miles? And I'm like, yeah, I've hiked 700. And they're like, no way, that's crazy. So like you you just get this this welling momentum of support under you from these like sources that you don't even know exist and you're just moving forward and like that propels you and then your body adapts and that propels you and then you know I don't know what the PCT is like the AT gets hard at the end it gets (laughs) really hard the white mountains I think that I think the PCT is similar but like you get to the end and you just get, you kind of break. <laughs> we experienced weather. Like I had to, Oh, I saw that picture. Yeah. We did the ditch hikes twice. And that was hard because any through hiker who has to go off trail for like more than, you know, two tenths of a mile is like, F this. I don't like <laughs> water. Now nah, I'll be okay. It's fine. <laughs> I'll find my water elsewhere. But like, uh, yeah, so ditching hikes was hard in weather, but I think we were talking about something earlier about like, you know, pushing yourself to some degree and knowing that you have a limit. You have to realize what's important to you. And what's important to me is finishing this hike. It's not, it's not finishing it today. You know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. risk breaking my leg and, and because I need to finish this hike today. So like making a decision to ditch trail and stuff like that. But, you know, you get to a certain point. And you're like, okay, I can see I have two states ahead of me. And you at that, you just have so much behind you. And maybe that's how life works too in general. Like you, you get far enough ahead and you're like, okay, I have these things to draw on for strength as I move forward and they can propel me. So it does get easier, I guess. Or you get... You get better at drawing yeah. on, on the support that you have. And recognizing what support you have, maybe. Yeah. And I think probably, like what you were saying with your body, knowing that your, I mean, the body in itself is an amazing machine. Right. And and just trusting it. Yes. Yes. Trusting in its strength and trusting to know when you need to preserve it and not risk risk it. I, I, I'm thinking of one particular hike where it was driving rain and it was probably like, it's probably like 
I don't know, 60 degrees on ground. So like at elevation, it was like 40 and driving rain and you're on rock and it's slippery and it's windy and you're just, I have this goal. Like I had this really awesome goal that I needed to attain. I didn't, you know, today. And like, that was what I wanted to do. And you're like, I just can't. (laughs) And like, that is such a hard moment. But I think that that's what long distance hiking is all about is working through that moment. So how did you work through that moment? And the moments that followed it, which were probably very similar. Okay. So that's like, there's like a, um, I need to take that moment and I need to like, um, what's the word? Decompartmentalize it or compartmentalize it. There was a lot of crying involved. (laughs) There's a lot of crying and the crying was uh, involved a lot of yelling. And I'm with a partner at this, I'm with my partner at this point. And I'm like, this is not why I'm here. I'm not here to hurt myself. I'm not here to slip on a rock and break my leg. And like, you know, part of the yelling would have happened whether or not he was there, but part of the yelling, it it would have happened, you know, is, is directed at him. So like, there's, there's that. And while I'm yelling, I'm thinking to myself, am I going to feel weak if I am like putting my foot down? I'm like, I'm sorry. There's a side trail up here. We're taking it. I'm going down. So like, there's that, you know, my body at that point, this was in the White Mountains, my body feels okay. But like, I need my body to feel okay for another month and a half. Like I can't risk it at this point, you know, so I think that that, that's a lot of it too. And it's just a lot of mental, mental gymnastics going on, trying to figure out each day, what's important to you. And it, it really, it really changes you know, everybody's mental state changes as you get closer to this, you know, so then you get to the end of it and you've done this thing that was like the hardest thing you've done in your entire life. And again, everybody gets to the end of it and they're in a different place in their life. And then they walk away from the terminus and you go back. (laughs) And then, then it's a whole different mental struggle. But a lot of people seem to get to the terminus and walk away from the terminus and, and start looking for their next fix or basically just kind of put the stopwatch on and wait for the next through hiking season to start. That's true. And I would, I think that maybe I'm doing myself a disservice by not talking to more of those folks who are able to be like, okay, cool. Now I'm like a year in, in town, so to speak. And then I get to go into my next thing. But for me, I mean, like, I don't, I don't have any, uh, and you're, you're even farther ahead in this game than I am. I don't have any retirement. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't have kids, but maybe I want them someday. So if I'm going to do another long trail, it's going to have to happen quick, you know, ish now, or when you retire and they're in college. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Or after college. Right. And so, you know, I, we talk about doing uh, the Te Aurora in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh, that's something you start in like October ish. So we're thinking maybe a year and a couple of months from now we could do that. But like when we lived in New York, we were able to cash in on our vacation and a security deposit because apartments are like effing expensive in New York. <laughs> so like that was a couple grand, but like we still cashed all of our savings and all of our stuff out to do this through hike. So. There's different types of people who hike the 
hike the hike differently. And so maybe, you know, you can face it differently, but it's just, it's what I'm getting at is that it was like a really hard struggle to, it's hard for me to see a through hike in the future, which hurts. I was going to say, how did, how has the through hiking put its hooks in you? I mean, there's, there is no comparison to uh, what life was like on the trail and what life, what it's really, (laughs) it's, it's hard for me to put that into words because life as I sit here in the city, in my nice apartment, I enjoy this, but I think every single day about different aspects of being on trail. I think about the hard stuff and I think about the really great stuff. I think about the freedom that I felt. And that's that's not a freedom I feel here. But I am willing to work my butt off to get as much of that in my current life or lifestyle, like in in working on a quote-unquote normal-ish job. I hate using that word, but like working that kind of job to make money, like I'm going to instill as much of that freedom into it as I can. And my, um, I am less willing to compromise my desire to maintain and hold on to that freedom. So like I work full-time from home right now. Does it bother me sometimes? Yeah, of course. I, I think I'm driving myself crazy working by myself from home, but <laughs> But now I can move anywhere whenever I want. And so I think I think coming away from the trail, like I said, you just you gain a deeper sense of what's important to you. And if some people can take that and and roll that into the next trail, that's amazing. And I don't think that I will I don't think I'll exit this life having not through hiked again, for sure. I'm like so excited for you and I'm really excited to talk to you later after or later yeah. <laughs> yes yes after or like you know 3 months in when you're like oh i don't know if i want to do this anymore <laughs> like oh yeah it's it's something else man <laughs> yeah. well it, it's pretty funny that you say that because i've been because i was kind of hedging on both sides and whatever i haven't been prepping really and i've obviously been in the philippines for the last couple of months so i really haven't been prepping prepping in what way though what are you thinking of pretty much everything like okay. i have a tent and I- <laughs> yeah no okay keep going but one of the things that i started thinking about this past week and and particularly as it got more and more likely that i was going to be on the trail this summer was so what did the snowpack look like in the sierras this year right what What's that going to be like? I know last year it was pretty extreme uh, and it changed people's plans quite enormously. So I I was like, I, I need to check that out. I need to do a little research there and, and find out what that's going to look like or get a sense of what that's going to look like. Right. For sure. <laughs> that was a deep <laughs> sigh. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's just, well, you know, it's weird. I I keep thinking like that. I keep feeling like your experience is going to be different than what mine was and what you're doing now. To So one thing that I didn't mention was that 
I got, I read this book and I got this idea in February of 2018 and we were on the trail in late April, 2018. (laughs) Okay. That was fast. Yeah. So like I'm reading a lot about people like aggravating about training and prepping and planning. And again, everybody is different. I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm going to be saying that for the rest of my effing life, but it's so true. But like, I was able to like, be like, Hey, I want to do this. This is what we need. And you know, the funny thing is, is though everybody on the trail, as you're going along, they're like complaining of, Oh, my bag doesn't work. My pack isn't great. Or I don't like my tent for this reason. Or, you know, this piece of gear is not great and I need to swap it out. And like, you know, you're making tweaks just like a normal life. Like every, Mm -hmm. you know, every day, every week, you know, you're deciding what works best for you and what doesn't. And like, so I think that that is something that helped me is like, you know, leaving for trail. I felt like I did the best that I could to prepare for this. And if I get there and things aren't great, I'll be able to make adjustments as I need to. And also, too, I want to say this to everybody who's listening, who's preparing for a through hike or is thinking about it and is questioning whether they're not they're physically capable. You know, you, you don't want to put your life on hold, go for a through hike and then realize like, oh, I can't hike up a, you know, X thousand foot mountain without dying. Like you don't want to put yourself in that situation. But at the same time, the hike will train you. You can't, your body cannot know what it's like to hike five days in a row at 15 plus miles a day up and down mountains until you do it. You know, I don't know. I hear about people that are like really dogging on their, their training. And I just want to be like, you're, you're not going to know what that is like until you actually do it. And, and do it day after day. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, uh, you know, like I hear people like taking packs on, on Stairmasters. I'm like, yeah, that's great. But (laughs) when you actually see the mountain that you're climbing and you're like, oh, like I have to do this for like the next two hours. It's just different. And the heat. Yes. Or the humidity. Yes. Or the rain. Yes. Or the bugs. Yes. People ask me if there was ever a time that I wanted to quit. The only time I ever considered quitting was because of the gnats. That was it. The gnats. You know, people are like, well, put, get a bug net for your head. I saw two people on the entire trail wearing a bug net. So maybe that's just me not wanting to look weird in front of people. But Yeah, well, I, I've i heard on the PCT that the mosquitoes are, are vicious. Are they? Um, particularly in the Sierras in the spring mm. with the snow melt. Yeah. So... I I have no pride. I will be in a bug net from Do it. from top to bottom if necessary. It'll be it'll be really worth it. And it'll look so fashionable. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know that through hiking is all about fashion. <laughs> I know. Hyper trash vogue, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That was great. I just wanted my sports bra to not be sopping wet the next morning when I put it on. That's all I care uh. about. It's so nasty. That is so nasty. <laughs> and then it's cold and wet, which is even worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you like try to dangle it on the tree branches as best you can, but it won't work. <laughs> what uh, What are you hiking in? What shoes? Let me refer back to that no prepping oh, yeah, so far. Sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but actually, what I 
what I was literally going to do this weekend is go out because my feet are a thing. Yeah. Um, I have very high arches and I have very high insteps. Okay. Right. Yeah. Insteps. So the, my feet are probably what I'm most worried about, mm-hmm. you know, aside from the, just the general friction and blisters and that kind of thing. And so this weekend I was actually going to go out and get some, uh, Brooks Cascadias and start walking around in them and, and that kind of thing and see if they'll work for my feet. And then, you know, just progress from there. So, uh, that, that was, cause I have used them in the past. So I'm hoping that the model is still, today's model is still similar enough to the one that I used, uh, that they will still be functional for me. Cool. Yeah. I didn't use, uh, inserts that might, they might help you though with the, uh, instep thing. I didn't get inserts until Massachusetts, I think. So, and that was just, you know, I don't know. You you feel all these things wrong with your feet and you're like, to you know, is this really bad? To what degree am I actually hurting myself by continuing to walk on this bad feeling? What was the bad feeling like or what were you having problems with? Uh, so initially it's, it's friction stuff and blisters. And that went away within a week about. And then I'm almost halfway through, I started getting a different kind of blister on my heel with a new pair of shoes. And it was like a really deep blister. Like I actually took two days off, which is the longest amount of time I took off. Um, and I think probably the days that flanked that were short too. So it was like a short day, two zero days, and then another short day. Um, but I actually called my mom and I was like, you know, I might get off trail. But you play games with yourself, right? So I was like, okay, you can't quit until you get to Harper's Ferry, which was like, you know, a few weeks ahead. And if you're still feeling this way, then you can quit. So that was bef- that was like about midway. Um, and then when I got up toward New England, I started to have what I, you know, I don't know what... Um, is that plantar fasciitis? Is that the, it's like this like deep pain, like in the bottom, like one particular part of my foot, like in, you know, I don't know. And you like, you're like, okay, well, do I go see a doctor? Do I, you know, do I play this out for a couple days? I don't know. It's just one of those things where you, I don't know if you have medical training, but I do not. So I was, I was kind of just playing that game with, with myself. Did it end up going away or? Yeah, yeah well, I got okay. inserts and it got better. Yeah. So again, everybody's different. For me, I was like, well, I'll give myself three days. And if it gets worse, then I will reevaluate. And if it gets better, then I will just move on. You know, and, and inserts aren't cheap. So like, you know, no. dropping 60 bucks at, you know, when I'm three quarters of the way through, was hard because <laughs> the farther you get along, the less money you have. And you're like, each dollar has got to go to towards a frozen pizza or a beer, <laughs> <laughs> not an insert. No. <laughs> so, but yeah. And you know, at the end, you can't walk downstairs for a while. My hips are still a mess. Even now. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that walking for six months, you know, I wasn't a person that focused on flexibility beforehand Uh, and immediately after, like I wasn't a person that did yoga or Pilates or really stretched a whole heck of a lot. I was a, I'm, was and am a weightlifter. So I do the same movements over and over (laughs) again and that's it. (laughs) But now in the past couple months, I'm like, this is not where I want to be for the rest of my movable years. So you know, I'm, I'm doing some stretching to open, open up my hips again and get, get back to where I should be. But 
you'll find like if you walk for six months or four, how long do you think it'll take you? Four and a half? I'm giving myself five-ish, like okay. five, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, you're doing the same movement for five months. There's no way you're going to get to the end of that and not have to stretch some stuff out for a long time. Well, I guess that is the the benefit, the good side of turning 50 in so much as when I turned 40 <laughs> <laughs> and actually it's, it's a little bit more recent than that, but, but probably in the last five years, I was doing kind of what you were doing, maybe not like weightlifting specifically, but you know, I go to the gym and I do the treadmill and then I lift weights and and I was doing that every other day or, or something like that. And I would wake up the next day and I would be sore. My ankles would be sore. My knees, my hips, you know, whatever would be sore. My joints would be sore. And I just thought that that was what it was going to be. That was just getting older. Okay. And I don't even know why I switched or changed up the routine, but I, but I basically, I joined a gym where I actually, I joined Orange Theory and oh, okay. I just go, you know, so they worry about the the actual program, the exercise program for the day, but I just go every day. And within a couple of weeks of doing that, as long as I was doing that every day, and then I would stretch at the end of it, of each, of each workout, and I would self-monitor, uh, monitor, mm-hmm. like how aggressively I was going any given day. And I would have recovery days and hard days and stuff like that. But all of a sudden, my joint pain went away. That's awesome. And, you know, I'm still, I still get sore muscles and that kind of thing, but I don't have the, what I'm going to call the getting older pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it was like, oh, so it really wasn't about getting older. It was about not getting smarter about it. Right. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. I'm just going to keep, (laughs) I'm going to keep moving. (laughs) And I think, I do really think it, not that obviously doing the same exercise every day for five or six months or whatever it comes out to be, can't be damaging, but I do feel lucky being at this point and understanding about my body that, you know, you need to stretch every day. You need to stretch. And if you stop, you need to elevate your legs and Mm -hmm. that type of thing. And just going into it with that mindset. Yeah. As opposed to having to find the mindset on the trail. For sure. That's great. That's really, I think, important that you take that with you. For sure. Because I feel like, you know, probably more so when I started, but I was definitely the person that was like, you know, you get to the end of the day and you're like, I just, I'm done with this. And you don't really like take any kind of extra step. You just set it aside and go to bed and wake up for the next day. Like, I think that it's important that you and it's not something I did is like prepare yourself with, okay, this is going to be things that I need to do on trail every day. And it's going to be part of my life. It's non-negotiable and it will help. It will help you. Yeah. So that's, that's good. Did you bring any sort of uh, ball or anything like that with you? No, Mm -mm. no, my mom, my mom gave me something somewhere in new England. um, And you know, again, it's not the pack weight. It's not any of that. It was pure laziness, I guess. It's probably the only way to, to categorize it. Like, you know, you get to you walk 
for hours and you get to camp and then everything else is a chore, setting up your tent, Mm -hmm. getting water, filtering water, making your dinner and you're exhausted and you go to bed, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to, uh, you know, set you up with any kind of negative, you know, film on your hike or any kind of (laughs) premonition or anything, but like, I don't know. That's, that's how it was for me. I was just done every day, you know, and probably part of this is, is remembering from the end of the hike, because by the time you get to the end for me, it, anyway, it was late September, early October. It's cold. It's like, I just want to be in my sleeping bag as warm as possible. And like, you just move as little as possible to get yourself to where you need to be to fall asleep. So, you know, I don't, everybody, everybody's different. <laughs> so, you know, you'll see, you know, some people enjoy the, that kind of cold and stuff. I was not one of them. I'm still not. Well, you know, you've got a good 10 plus 15 years ahead of you. And then I'm so excited. <laughs> You're making me so excited. I like just and then you're going to think about stretching again. Yeah. Well, you know, the people that I met on the trail, the, like between the Adirondacks and the AT, if anybody like, you know, 50 and older like was like, "Yeah, I would have done that a long time ago when I was younger." I like look at them with this blank stare. You can do it. Just get yourself to a place where you can do it and you can do like physically and you can do it. Like it it bothers me when people like use their age as a reason why they, you know, and like there are some people who can't and that's fine. But like there are folks that use their age as a reason why they can't, uh, can't do the next, the physical thing. And that bugs me. Well, I, I also think too that, so I was born in 1970. And I feel like probably I'm of the generation where women and girls, particularly, so I can't speak to the guys, but women and girls, particularly, were athletes. They, they really? did, you know, physical activity from a young age and, and it was just part of your life. What did you do? What was your? Oh basketball, tennis, volleyball, softball, little league baseball, mm-hmm. triathlon, like you name it, sports. Sports. <laughs> um, but but it's be, but it's part of your life. Like I grew up playing sports. So now the concept of doing activities, doing athletics isn't that foreign. It's it's not a what what is that? What does that mean? You know, I did personal training for a while. And I had a couple of clients who were all older than me. And it was so interesting in talking with them, particularly the women who, because of their age, were getting into doing some sort of athletic, particularly weight training in order to maintain muscle mass and stuff. But they had no sense of their bodies. They had no sense of what something should feel like how to contract a specific muscle, um, you know, that type of thing. It was completely foreign to them. Right. And that's, I guess that kind of is the, the example that I'm thinking of when I think back to, you know, starting kind of with my generation and maybe the, the couple of years before me as well, where that's not such a foreign concept. And, uh, and so the thought of getting out on a through hike or the thought of, Right. Okay, doing a triathlon or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Isn't this, oh yeah, that's not for me type of thing. That's awesome. 
I mean, that's luck. Uh, lucky, awesome. Yes, like, that's, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, that you slid yourself into that mentality. So I'm going to circle. I'm going to I'm going to completely tangent us. Yes. Um, and circle back to a question that I had promised you that I would ask, which is, where did you get your trail name? Oh yeah. So I'm going to have to provide you with photo evidence of this, but I have a cat tattoo. So I have two cats and you know, I, I, are you a pet person? Do you have pets? Um, I had, I had cats. Yeah. But like, I just got the one who's tattooed on my arm in the, you know, the low point where, you know, he just slid into my life and then like propelled me upward. And like, so I kind of blame him for being a better person at this point. (laughs) (laughs) So, but you know, and so like it, you, you head out on trail and you're like, oh, I'm going to get a trail name. This is going to be great. And somebody's going to give it to me and I'm going to do something really funny or stupid. And like, that's going to give it to me. But then the second night I'm on trail, you know, everybody's talking about trail names <laughs> and somebody looks at my arm and they wanted to like pair me with my partner and do something cute. So they're like, oh, you can be Catwoman and he can be uh, Batman, was it? Or yeah, something like that. And it, like, it just didn't fit him. But I'm like, you know what? I'll, I will take Catwoman because for a number of you know reasons. But you know, mainly because it is something that met, like having my cats matters to me. Um, I liked the you know superhero connotation. You know, it wasn't particularly deep or meaningful, but like. <laughs> And so much that I wouldn't necessarily want some random person naming me something after dumb, I, something dumb that I did. Like I, I was fine. <laughs> I was fine with it. So yeah, it's kind of a simple, simple answer to that question. Now, when they named you that, was it because of the tattoo? Mostly. Or? Yeah. Okay. The tattoo. I mean, it, it takes up most of my shoulder. So it's pretty prominent. So between that and I was like, yeah, I miss my cats. It's sad. They're like, okay, Catwoman. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take it. And how long did it take Turtle to get to his to get his name? Um, not too much longer after that than after that. I was complaining uh, because I'm the louder of the two of us, and so I would complain morning after morning because I just wanted to get on trail, and he would take his sweet ass time packing his stuff up, and I'd be standing there waiting for him, and I'm like, "You're such a turtle," and like at the end of the hike you know, months later, I'm the slow one. (laughs) And so, yeah, it just made, it made great sense at the end because then it was a great story. Like she named me because I'm really slow in camp. And, um, and now it turns out she's the slow one. So maybe it's just a point to how relationships work too. True. And you guys could appreciate it all. Yeah, we're lucky. I guess I was going to ask you a little bit about kind of your, your gear. Mm-hmm. Like, what was your your favorite piece of gear? What was your must-have gear? Sure. What would you change out after having done? So, let me, um, like, th- I mean, there's a couple pieces of gear that stuck out for particular reasons. Uh, one was the um, trekking poles I used. You know, everybody feels tied to a particular piece of gear for whatever reason. Um, I bought the cheap $50 Montum poles off of Amazon and they didn't last very long. I ended up using two pairs and the second pair, but, but I loved them, but they wore out super fast. They were very lightweight, 
which I think was the good thing. And they were only 50 bucks. So that's what I really liked about them. If I, I could have probably invested in some better ones and had the similar result of like lightweight comfort. But And then I ended up in Gorham, New Hampshire. I'm in the middle of the White Mountains, switching out to Black Diamond. I can't remember the model name, but they're super heavy and uncomfortable. So like there was like a stark difference between the two of those. So I guess what I'm saying is I recommend getting a pair that's lightweight and comfortable and known for durability. Like that's something I would invest money in, I guess is what I'm saying. When you say I can, I, I, lightweight is, is very tangible. Sure. Like you can yeah. figure out what lightweight is, but how did you figure out what comfortable was or uncomfortable was? Smushy to my hands. So that that was like the, the comfort part. Um, so probably something that's cork or um, some smushy composite. So like the Montems were like some, they weren't cork. They were like a softer, I'm not sure what the material was, but the diamonds were like a hard plastic and they had oh, like, okay. they were like ridged so that your hands, it would be like um, some kind of friction for your hands to rub up against, which, you know, works. But day after day after day, like that hard plastic was not comfortable and combined with the heavy pole, it was just not a great it was not fun to use or not comfortable to use. I mean, you want basically all of your gear to just help you move along and you don't want to, you don't want to be caught thinking about like, Oh, my pack is uncomfortable. My poles are uncomfortable. My shoes are uncomfortable. Like you want everything to kind of work with you as you move forward. So the, the pack that I had was a 40 liter Osprey pack that I had already had. And I was just like decided that I wasn't going to spend money on a new pack And I considered along the way buying a new one, but I heard so many people complaining about their packs as they went along that I decided that it's probably not going to be 100% comfortable no matter what I do or no matter what pack I choose. So I know this this beast. (laughs) You know, I know what this feels like and I know how to adjust it to make it fit as best it's gonna. So I'm, I'm good with what I have. And, you know, I think that gear reviews are both a really great thing to be able to reference, but they're also, again, I think it's just totally dependent on on what you want and what your preferences and priorities are. You know, so like when you're reviewing packs and sleep systems and tents, like, you know, what is important to you? So, the, I mean, the pack that I just bought, I just bought a 60 liter Gregory Diva pack. Those things are like five pounds. Mm-hmm. Like anybody who's like a, a through hiker would probably bulk. They'd be like, why would you buy a pack that heavy? But it's like got the bells and whistles and it's known for its comfort. So like, that's what I think is super important to me. So again, it's what you think is important to you when you're day to day in. For me, like when I'm in the middle of a hike and I'm dying and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to make myself feel better in this moment, I want to know that if I go to this zipper pack and I go to this corner of this zipper pack, that this thing will be there. Like this piece of cheese or this ibuprofen bottle will be there and I can grab it. And like, I don't have to dig through 60 things in order to find it. So you know, you just you just figure out along the way what's important to you and and how you can best make a collection of gear that works toward that end. One thing I did really like is a uh, really lightweight quilt. We shared one. It was like a single person sleeping bag that was for fifty degree. Uh, it was rated for 50 degrees, and we bought that midway through and used that um, until we needed our packs or our um, I'm sorry our uh, our full weight sleeping bags 
at the end again. I don't know what how that works for the PCT. If you guys do give up gear, like your cold weather gear in the middle or at any point, or you don't take it with you maybe. Um, yeah, on the PCT, you're a little bit constantly switching things out. So okay. if you start on the south end and go north, you start in the desert, which in spring can be cold, but obviously you're not generally going to have snow issues and that kind of stuff. And then you hit, so that's about 700 miles. And then you hit the Sierras and then obviously your Sierras in the spring. So you've got ice axes and crampons or micro spikes or something like that and bear, bear canisters. That's crazy. Um, and then you finish up the, the Sierras and you hit Northern California. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you're switching everything out because now you're in the summer in Northern California. Yeah. And then by the time you generally hit, depending upon the time of year that you're there, but it wow. seems like Washington, no matter what time you hit there, August on, basically, you can run into rain. It's going to be probably some wet. Um, and then if you're really unlucky, it'll be snow. Wow. So you're constantly switching gear in and out. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, there's a lot of changing going on. But I guess my my ideal would be I start April 4th and I would finish in early September, okay. which hopefully will mean that, you know, I can't do anything about temperature in the desert and the Sierras are going to be what they are. But hopefully that will be early enough that northern Washington will not be too wet. So it'll still be pretty beautiful. Nice. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So April what? What did you say? Is your April 4th. April 4th. 4-4-2020. Four, four, it's great. Yeah. Awesome. There's, there's a certain repetition to those numbers. I like it. It feels it feels good. What, I guess, going back to, circling back to the kind of the gear question that I... Yeah, sorry. I <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, what gear have you switched out? You said you switched out your pack. Uh, what else have you switched out? Since then, yeah. I mean, the the new pack thing is just kind of a hopeful for the future. Um, obviously, I destroyed the... Well, I didn't destroy, but... So the Osprey uh, Tempest 40 that I had, 40-liter pack that I had, I'd used before the AT for a little while. So it had already been broken in so that it, it was pretty much done. I mean, I've used it on day hikes since then. Um, I used... Uh, so the Solomon Speed Cross, the Solomon Speed Cross Four were the shoes that I um, that I use the entire way. They're built for narrow feet, so like I feel like I can't necessarily be like, "Hey, you should use these," but they were great. I used them the entire time. Um, I did go up a size, but they they always say that you probably will go up a size. Have your feet come back again, or are you basically now at that size? <laughs> I felt like okay, this is not helpful at all but I feel like my feet shrank before I went on the trail so I was like an eight and then on the trail was an eight and a half and now I'm an eight and a half so you know take take that for for what you will <laughs> see you know there's not really anything other than the poles that I really swapped out I did not wear any rain gear I brought rain gear and shipped it home immediately because I realized that I'm going to be drenched no matter what I wear and the only time that rain, no, rain gear is like never useful. And like, so that's why it was hard in the whites because it was so cold that I would be drenched no matter what. And it like, there's no way to like stay dry. So that was something I sent home pretty quickly. So your philosophy was just embrace the suck? 
embrace the sake. Like there's no way to get around it. You either hike or you don't hike. And if you don't hike, you don't go anywhere. And if you hike, you get wet. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> but, but I, I do hear people use their rain gear to help cut down on the wind and that kind of stuff, particularly, I guess, as you're getting further north. Yeah, the wind. Yeah, definitely the wind. But if you're in the rain for any more than like, you know, 30 minutes, you're done. I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm being completely unhelpful by saying like, you know, the gear depends on the person. Well, I think that that is that is completely true, accurate. Really, like from this podcast, I think the biggest thing gear wise that I've learned in this podcast and that my biggest takeaway, I guess, from this podcast is that everybody's gear is individual to them and everybody feels their gear in different ways. But the interesting, the most interesting thing, honestly, to me about doing this podcast is that I am now familiar with mm-hmm. so many because so much of the gear within the hiking, the through hiking community is cottage industry, mom and pops, small, small industry True. type of thing. Um, and so in talking with everybody, I am now much more familiar with all of these companies that you wouldn't normally hear about. Right. Which actually kind of, I guess, has switched my, my concept of what this podcast is for but essentially then broadens the scope of where people could look for gear. Gotcha. Yeah, no, for sure. So I guess in that vein, was there any uh, mom and pop cottage industry kind of gear that you ended up using that you love? I think the only thing I could probably point to is Dirty Girl Gators. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm sure you've heard of them, but they were like, I think it's a smaller company, but they were great. I would totally recommend them hands down. But other than that, no, I think I kind of stuck to more mainstream stuff for better or for worse. <laughs> while you were out there, I'm going to completely tangent, tangent on you again. Sure. But um, while you were out there, you were having some issues. And I think you've kind of alluded to this a little bit before, you know, with blisters and back pain and mm-hmm. and your feet and um, that kind of stuff. Actually, I guess there was uh, there's a beautiful picture of your rash. Oh and- God! Oh yeah, that <laughs> and bug bites and and that kind of stuff. How did you like? Did you just suffer through it and and just say it's going to be what it's going to be? And or did you try to treat it in any way? Or uh, it depended on the it depended on the issue. So that particular rash. I think, okay, so I think generally my MO was wait a couple days. Uh, See if it gets worse. See if it bothers you more. If it gets worse, it bothers you more. And what you do have to treat is not working, then seek, you know, help elsewhere. That particular rash did not hurt, did not itch. (laughs) Like I couldn't feel it. It just looked really bad. So... I mean, I don't know, maybe it's like an instinctual, maybe it's a wrong instinctual kind of thing, but I was like, okay, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't itch, then it can't be (laughs) horrible. I'll probably survive. And so I just moved forward and it it lessened and then it was gone within a week ish. So I I don't know. I think at that point we like realize I'm going to encounter so much discomfort that I can't treat everything as an emergency because otherwise I will never finish this. 
and I will incur so much like medical, so many medical expenses that I won't, it won't be feasible to finish. So it's like, you know, one thing this trail, like above all else, like it was like a microcosm of life. It just felt like I was experiencing life on a very small scale every single day. And like those types of physical issues were no exception. I had to decide, like, is this something that is going to affect me into the future? If it is, then I need to try to treat it. If I think it might not be, then I have to move past it. And like, you know, you make those decisions on a daily basis, a, a bunch of different things. Like, it's like those kinds of like physical issues. It's the hiking the last three miles. It's the spending an extra night in town. It's like all, all these different decisions that you have to make all the time. So... I don't really know if that answers your question. It it sounds kind of like you were doing the self-analysis, the, I guess it's sort of a cliche within the sports world, but are you hurt or are you injured? Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Is, is there anything that uh, we haven't talked about that you think that we should? I feel like you've covered a lot of ground in your podcast so far. Um <laughs> I think I've said all the things that are most meaningful to me. I have. I just realized that I have two more questions. For yeah, me. sure, go. So maybe that will maybe that will cause you to answer the question a little differently. But what was your worst or most difficult time on trail? There were uh, there was one that was like kind of longer term, and then a shorter term one, in which I already talked about was uh, in Perrysburg, Virginia, and that was with like these deep heel blisters um, that were causing me tremendous physical pain. I was considering getting off trail. That's when I played that like psychological game, like, okay, Kim, you can get off trail if you hike, you know, 200 more miles and you still want to get off trail. Like at that point you can, you can say you did, had a good run and you can toss it, toss it for now. You know, and it's and at the same time, you know, you're like looking at like the spot on your heel and you're like, this is what's going to get me off trail. This is ridiculous. Like, this is what's going to keep me. So like, you know, that was, that was really hard. Um, even just saying it out loud, you, you're like, this is really dumb. Um, and then the other thing was the gnats, which I told you too, like yeah. that, that was it. But other than that, you know, I, I, on a day-to-day basis, all of the struggles that I had, I'm like, I'm still outside every day. <laughs> um, I'm not working. Um, I'm with, I'm with the one person that I enjoy being with the most. And for everybody who doesn't hike with a partner, you know, if you hike by yourself and you like your time alone, you are going to love yourself and love your time alone even more. You are going to fall in love with the trail family. I've always been a kind of a loner. So like I developed trail family, but I was fine being by myself too. So anyway, I'm like saying these things will compensate for your daily struggles. So those kind those things compensated for the struggles that I had. So yeah, I had a couple of times and I was in a really bad place. And there's a particular picture on my Instagram of just my face in like one of the shelters where I'm just like, this sucks. <laughs> Real bad. <laughs> uh, so on the flip side of that, what is your most memorable or favorite uh, memory of trail? Like, you mean like a great moment? Like there's so many different types of great moments. <laughs> what comes to mind first? Um, when you think about the trail, what is the memory that, that comes to mind first? 
I just, my brain flips through so many things. I know that doesn't answer your question. I mean, getting, um, maybe it's the party after getting to Katahdin and uh, the hike back down. There's particular moments on Katahdin, but Katahdin was a particular struggle, struggle all in it's like itself. You know, it's really weird because I'm sitting here talking to you and I feel like you and I have like this thing in common that so few people have in common but yet our experiences are still different. And so, you know, like it's just every view that I got, every mountaintop that I got, every struggle that I managed to get past. And a lot of them are physical, but that works for me, right? Like, like mm-hmm. I enjoy that physical struggle and then like getting to the top and seeing the view and taking that all in and feeling a sense of accomplishment, but not everybody's like that. So, you know, it depends on what, makes you feel fulfilled. So (laughs) it doesn't answer your question, but it was just each time I worked my butt off and got to the top and got to take in all of that stuff that you see in all those pictures. So circling back to that original question, which is, is there anything we haven't talked about that you feel like we should? You know, I feel like I'm in a job interview and they ask you the question and I'm like, uh, no, I don't have any questions at this time, but if I think of anything, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, if, if that is your answer, uh, then we'll move to the next one. <laughs> uh, and the next one basically is like, where can people find you if they have questions for you and or if they want to follow the continuing uh, adventure and what you're going to do with your Gregory Diva? Yeah. So, um, on Instagram, I'm at catwoman.hikes. Um, and I'm also at, in my normal day-to-day life, not normal. I like, I want to hit myself every time I say normal. In my <laughs> other life, I'm hikeliftbeer. So H-I-K-E-L-I-F-T-B-E-R because I like to hike, I like to lift and I like to drink beer. I will spend the rest of my life helping other people experience and achieve through hiking. So please do reach out. notes and links for Kim's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Kim for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. I also wanted to give a shout out of thanks to all the guests who've come on the show and generously shared their stories from the trails, as well as a special thank you to all the listeners who've come along for this crazy adventure. It's about to get even crazier. I'll see you on the trail. <laughs>